Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. The context is you start by thinking about dark matter. Um, so we know uh, that the universe is made of regular matter, that's what we're made out of, as well as some more exotic things. So there's dark energy, that's a totally different question, so let me not talk about that. But there's dark matter, and dark matter makes up about a fifth of the universe, and there's five times more dark matter than regular matter that we're made out of. So when people, we know that dark matter exists because it changes the way that galaxies rotate, it changes the way that the cosmic microwave background looks in the sky, and so on. Um, but we have no idea what it's made of. Uh, it seems to be some kind of a particle just because of the way it uh, behaves gravitationally. But um, apart from that, we know nothing. So the normal approach to looking for dark matter is to assume that there's just one kind of new subatomic particle. And this one subatomic particle makes up dark matter and we just haven't discovered it yet. And, it ha and we want to figure out its mass and properties and so forth. And that's um, a very fine approach and it's uh, motivated for various reasons, but uh, let's approach this from a different angle. Um, to say that a fifth of the universe is made of just one kind of particle really flies in the way of our everyday experience, which is that we're made of matter and we're incredibly rich and complicated and non-minimal. Yeah? Uh, the matter that we're made out of has many different particles. There's different quarks that make up protons and neutrons, and then there's electrons and there's neutrinos. And they have a whole variety of forces that they talk to each other with. There's electromagnetism that gives us light, that gives us chemistry. There's the strong and weak nuclear forces that give us nuclei, that give us nuclear fusion inside of stars, nuclear fission inside of nuclear reactors. So this whole rich variety, and of course, uh, nuclear physics is what gives us the different nuclei. So that gives us the elements, hydrogen, helium, lithium, everything, carbon. So this richness of the matter that we're made out of derives from the fact that there's many different kinds of particles talking to each other uh, under three fundamental forces in addition to gravity. So given that the matter, the only matter that we know for sure what the properties are has this richness to it, why does dark matter have to be so minimal? Isn't it plausible that dark matter is rich and complicated? So that's the sort of uh, completely um, agnostic starting point, why the hell is dark matter not more complicated? It could be, absolutely, you should consider that. And in that case, your search strategies have to change. Um, but there's a different, there's an even more compelling reason to think about, uh, you know, and these are called non-minimal dark sectors. So that's the overarching name for these kinds of theories uh, that have these more complicated dark matter structures. Um, the, the even more uh, sort of um, theoretically compelling reason is that there's a completely different fundamental mystery, and it's sort of the holy, holy grail of theoretical particle physics, and it's called the hierarchy problem. And it has to do with the question of why gravity is so much weaker than the other forces, to put it very briefly. And uh, when you try and solve this problem, and you can see that it is a problem by just using a magnet to lift a nail up, that little magnet using electromagnetism is winning against the gravity of the whole Earth. Yeah, that's very confusing. Um, and uh, you can imagine extensions of the standard model of particle physics, so new theories of physics that add to the ones we already have, and they can address this problem usually by introducing new symmetries. The, these new symmetries predict the existence of new particles, and they can, for various technical reasons, solve this problem. Um, you may have heard of something called supersymmetry. That's a classic, and it predicts particles that we look for at the LHC, but we haven't found those yet, the LHC being the Large Hadron Collider. Um, 
but in the last 10 years, another family of theories has become very popular, and this is called neutral naturalness, and they predict a different kind of symmetry. Uh, and this symmetry essentially predicts that there would be a hidden sector of particles that are similar, that are sort of cousins of the matter that we're made out of. So you'd have a mirror neutron, a mirror proton, a mirror electron, and they have their own mirror forces, mirror nuclear physics, mirror light. Yeah. So, and once you start out from that theoretical idea, then you have to think about, well, that's radically different from the simple uh, notion of dark matter being one particle that doesn't interact much. And then you have to think very carefully about how do you find something like this? So that was our starting point. So why think mirror stars? Well, once you're thinking about a non-minimal dark sector or dark matter that is made up of cousins of standard model particles, you know, mirror neutrons, mirror protons, they have their own version of mirror nuclear physics, they have their own version of light. And again, it's all invisible to us, but it's happening internally within the dark matter. So once you have dark matter that does those things, how does it behave in the universe? Well, probably quite a lot like our matter. What does our matter do? Our matter uh, for accumulates in galaxies, and we have every reason to think that this mirror dark matter would be around us in our galaxy, okay? And then what does normal matter do? It clumps and cools and collapses and forms stars. Yeah? And the way that stars work, it relies on all these different forces that are present within the normal matter. You have gas collapsing, giving off heat as it collapses so that it can shrink. Uh, eventually the pressures and temperatures in the core become high enough to initiate nuclear fusion. So that's nuclei fusing together to release energy and this energy then gets radiated off as light and that's stars, they shine absolutely analogous processes, you know, and we calculated this. Uh, and, you know, this is based on work that I've done for several years in collaboration with uh, many other researchers. But the most recent work with my with on mirror stars is done with my postdoc, Jack Sedford at the University of Toronto, who's absolutely brilliant. Um, so we, we calculate essentially the properties as particle theorists uh, on a sort of micro level. Yeah, we can figure out that these mirror particles are gonna form mirror nuclei. There's gonna be mirror helium, mirror hydrogen, yeah? We can figure out very basic what their chemistry is gonna be. There's gonna be, um, it's gonna be kind of similar to us, but a bit different. And uh, from looking at these sort of micro uh, properties, you, you can deduce that yes, these things should collapse and form mirror stars. So, you, so now you have a prediction that dark matter uh, should form these objects, which are exotic mirror stars. Okay, great. Um, but how the hell do you see these things? Yeah, because they're made of dark matter. They don't give off regular light. So they're invisible. How can you see them? This is a very challenging problem. So this is what um, Jack and I were doing in our mirror star paper. Um, we thought about this and essentially uh, realized that if these things form, then uh, they, these mirror stars would fly through the galaxy. Uh, and, and by the way, to do this, we had to learn quite a bit of basic astronomy and astrophysics because as theoretical particle physicists, this is a little outside of our comfort zone. But it's this kind of interdisciplinary research that's really at the forefront of particle physics today. To solve fundamental problems, you have to draw upon more than one discipline. So we, uh, we were guided by some of our astrophysics friends, our astro uh, fellow astrophysics researchers who, uh, who were gently tutoring us as needed. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but eventually we, we were able to sort of figure out, okay, if these mirror stars fly through the galaxy, roughly what would their structure be? And these mirror stars, in fact, do interact slightly with regular matter because what I haven't mentioned so far is that this dark light that um, essentially is exchanged among the dark matter, just like regular light is exchanged among regular matter, 
this dark light and the regular light, the mirror photon and the normal photon, they talk to each other a tiny bit. They can switch into each other a tiny, tiny bit, uh, you know, once every billion, billion times or something, very rarely. But tiny probabilities still matter a lot when you have something as big as a star, yeah? If they didn't interact at all, if you were an astronaut um, uh, sitting in space and a mirror star were to fly through you, you wouldn't see anything, but you would certainly feel its gravity, yeah? Uh, so you'd be confused why suddenly you're being pulled this way and that. If you're a, if you're a, but however, because the mirror photons talk a little bit to the normal photons, what would actually happen to this astronaut is that they would actually get cooked. They would get slowly cooked as they fly, as the mirror star flies through them. Uh, not as spectacularly as when they, as if they were to actually fall into a star, that would be immediate, but they would still receive heat from the mirror star and they would be confused before they get cooked. So that's a bit morbid, but that's what happens uh, to uh, matter that's out in the galaxy, just stray hydrogen atoms uh, that are all over the galaxy. They would, get, they would interact with this mirror star, and they would get trapped in the gravity well of the mirror star, so they would sit in the core, and they would receive a little bit of energy from the mirror star core, and then two very interesting things happen. They heat up to about the temperature of 10,000 Kelvin or so. So that's about as hot as a white dwarf star. Um, but the amount of matter that you're capturing is very small. It's only about the amount of material that's equivalent to the planet Earth in, the, in, in, in like a whole mirror star. So it's not a lot of material, but it's this diffuse cloud of captured gas that's in the middle of the core. And it sucks up a little bit of heat from this hot mirror star core, which is millions of degrees or billions of degrees. And it gives it off as heat. And not only do you, so then what, what you have is you have an object that you can see with your regular eyes. It's as hot as a star, but it's much, much fainter than any star has any right to be. Yeah, because it's just this little cloud of gas that steers a little bit of energy, sort of parasitically, from the mirror star. And the smoking gun of this is that in addition to giving off heat, it gives off a characteristic X-ray signature. And nothing that is this faint would give off this X-ray signature, let alone be this hot. So this is sort of, this, this is the um, sort of, you know, and we did this by basically calculating using particle physics um, for methodologies and a very basic understanding of stellar astrophysics um, to arrive at this conclusion. The major findings are, like I've said, that we, we have come to realize through previous studies that mirror stars are a generic prediction of these, these non-minimal rich dark sector theories, these dark matter theories. What we have done for the first time is um, carefully analyze how they would trap material by flying through the galaxy and, uh, and what that material would look like in a telescope. And, and the conclusion is that the major finding is that this material would glow at a temperature of about 10,000 degrees Kelvin, roughly similar to a white dwarf star, but hundreds or thousands of times fainter. And even that by itself um, cannot be replicated or faked by any normal sort of astrophysical object that we're familiar with. And the other major finding, which has been completely unappreciated before, is that this trapped, um, this trapped matter would give off an X-ray signature. And this X-ray signature derives from the fact that because this trapped matter is lying so close to the mirror star core, which is a temperature of millions or billions of degrees, um, the just the thermal mirror photons, just the heat in that mirror star core actually is in the X-ray range. Yeah? And, and this means that if every now and then one of those mirror X-rays gets converted by interacting with the trapped matter into a regular X-ray, 
So this X-ray signature um, is a way that you can essentially peer, that you can essentially see directly into the mirror star core. It's as if the mirror star became transparent and you see X-rays from the core. And that's, that's even more information than we, get from, than, than, we, than we get from the sun. We can't look inside the sun. We can infer what's going on, but we can't look inside the sun. For mirror stars, you could very literally look inside because you get X-rays straight converted by the matter and you essentially see the core, even though it's billions of times dimmer than it normally would be. Um, and that means that these mirror stars can be discovered in optical telescope surveys and in X-ray observations. The big, big picture implications and conclusions are dark matter can manifest itself in terms of its physical signatures and the signals that you're looking for in ways that are vastly different from what one would traditionally expect. You know, normally we look for dark matter by, for example, building a very sensitive detector made of liquid xenon and putting it inside of a mountain cave and, and hoping that a piece of dark matter hits it and then you see a signal, yeah? And those are stunning experiments and incredibly important. Um, but, uh, but what we've shown is that dark matter can manifest in such rich, complicated ways uh, that are completely different from what you'd normally expect. And maybe you don't, maybe uh, you, know, you need to do much more than just look for example, these dark detection experiments. You need to also draw upon the whole range of astrophysical signatures that can be generated. And this includes something like mirror stars for which you would need telescope surveys. Now, I wanna to add to this that, so in that exact same vein, this of course changes uh, how you look for dark matter or rather it adds a new possibility of how to look for dark matter. And what I find absolutely delightful, it opens up a new way of looking for dark matter uh, because astronomy is such a data rich field. We have data banks and star charts and spectra that have been done over the, hundred, over the last hundred years. And the really crucial takeaway from our paper is that dark matter could manifest itself in optical telescope observations by looking like a star that doesn't look like a star that, you, that you're used to. It looks like a star, but much too faint. Um, or it looks like a star that has the wrong color, yeah? So it looks like a measurement error to, to, to observational astronomers. And we're telling observational astronomers um, this weirdo measurement error that you thought was some artifact, it could actually be the signal of dark matter. So what this encourages us to do is, is, it's to, is to open the archives and look at all the observations of stars that we have in our catalogs and just to see if there's any weirdos there. Yeah. And, 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 and this is really equivalent to how in paleontology, you, you still discover new species, not to necessarily by going out and digging out new fossils into the field, although of course that's super important, but you can also discover new, new species by going to museums and looking at their archives of fossils and intrepid graduate students analyzing them again and realizing, oh, this thing is a new species that we've never seen before. And that's in fact what we're doing right now. I'm collaborating with my postdoc, Jack Sedford, um, Professor Chris Matzner at the University of Toronto, as well as an intrepid undergrad, Aaron Howe. And uh, Aaron is actually doing this um, archaeological detective work for us right now. He's looking at stellar, uh, at stellar catalogs and, and star charts and the public data by the Gaia satellite. And he's looking for these weirdo stars, these stars that are much fainter than they should be. And then we, we hope to sort of essentially cross-list this with existing spectral information, with X-ray surveys, to, to see maybe we've already discovered these things, but we just didn't know it yet. So it's sort of a delightful detective game that, that our undergrad and our team is doing right now. 
and uh, and who knows maybe maybe the discovery's there uh you know so it's it's a very exciting time